With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The views and opinions expressed by hosts, invited speakers, and callers do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Black Talk Media Project or the Black Talk Radio Network. Revolution comes with a price tag. You were slave to a flag in a country that clearly doesn't love you when they probably never have. Told you turn the other cheek. And they made it with a bad fucking protest in them cities. Told you go fight in the war. Vietnam, you died good riddance. The man of the house rule took you from your siblings. Turned around a pump crack right up in your city. And they turned all your leaders the martyrs. You was off in the war. Now who was guarding your daughters? It was riots in the streets. Killed Malcolm and Martin. Called a national guard up because we ride with our guard up. And that was burning your guard. It's like in the minute, don't apply. To you, everything that they taught you was a lie to you. See, they scared of your skin and they dying to shoot. Take the American dream and then you die to pursue. One day it'll all make sense. Good afternoon and welcome to Black Talk Radio News. My name, of course, is Scotty Reed. I'm broadcasting from behind these enemy lines, known as USA Inc. Today's date is May 18th, 2015. I do apologize for my lateness in getting the program uh, started promptly at 4 o'clock p.m. Uh, just got had some issues uh, getting online, but uh, those have been resolved. Obviously, I hope that no one got killed over the weekend, that you didn't end up a casualty, which, you know, I might as well go ahead and do it now. Pull up killedbypolice.net and see how many casualties we looking at over the weekend from over the weekend and so uh that would cover the 16th and the 17th and it looks like one two three four five people were killed by police the latest entry is a white male by the name of austin goodner 18 years old and uh this occurred in florida he was killed by police uh mostly all males all males uh, he is the only one that we thus far have a, um, racial classification, uh, for. But, uh, looking at the states, two in California, uh, one of them named Matthew Coates. He was 42 years old. Uh, that's all the information we have in terms of his classifications. Another male in California, um, that was on Saturday. New Mexico, a male got killed. Illinois, uh, a male got killed. So, um, thus far today, there are no uh, reports of any casualties. And again, I like to just share this information just to impress upon people that we live under battlefield conditions, that there is a war waging. It is a global war. It's a global war. And it is predicated upon race, spreading racism and white supremacy. Um, 
to do all the evil things that have been practiced up under this system. Uh, that includes slavery, because in many times uh, interactions with police are predicated upon them keeping the community safe by stopping all these drug addicts and just drug activity. And it doesn't matter, you know, if they're if they are not bothering anyone else, not harming anyone else. Well, the state has deemed that this is illegal activity and we will put you in slavery uh, behind it. That's that's what a lot of these police stops are. They're looking for drugs. They're looking for drugs. And of course, also to issue you a ticket so that you can continue to be, uh, your money extorted from you to continue to support the system. So I'll take a, um, better look at some of these reports. Just been behind on a lot of things, been feeling under the weather, but that's no excuse cause uh, our enemies don't take a day off. Um, but anyway, uh, the telephone numbers, if you would like to get in on the broadcast, it is open lines. Uh, you can give us a call on the conference line. That's 530-881-1400. The access code is 549-032-POUND. You can also hit us up on the studio line. That's 704-951-5030. Um, today I had an opportunity. Uh, we shared this on the network, blacktalkradionetwork.com. You should, uh, subscribe to get updates from the network whenever one of uh, the staff or media partners post something you you know come to your email uh but yeah earlier today this morning i saw that uh the president of the C- or the ceo whichever one you prefer both will be accurate of Am- of the united states of america well today he was in camden new jersey to give a speech and to- he was talking about the way the White House built it, because it was streamed over social media, YouTube, they have their YouTube channel, the White House. The way that they titled it was President Obama Speaks to Youth in Law Enforcement. Now, of course, we got a heads up about what this speech was going to to entail, and it mostly focuses around what they are calling community policing, as we have often reported, at least I have, um, the president in response to all the rebelling and rioting and uprisings and whatever label you want to give it, you know, but let's just say people are very unhappy with the status quo. But as a result of, of, of all of these uprisings after these officer, uh, cop involved shootings, the president put together a 21st century policing task force in which you know i don't recall the game the guy's name uh, but it's a black male who was appointed to chair that task force he is the current commissioner in the city of philadelphia which just by the way you know celebrated well i shouldn't say celebrated Uh, i'm sure there were some some racist suspects out there probably you know happy about it but uh, there were commemoration activities going on in Philly, Philadelphia, marking the 30-year anniversary of the bombing of the murder of MOVE activists and, and their children um, 30 years ago in 1985 in, in the city of, of Philadelphia. But the current commissioner, he didn't have any, he didn't have anything to do with that. No, he didn't. He was just a rookie on the Chicago Police um, Department when. Um, Fred Hampton Jr., who you heard, I'm, I'm sorry, Chairman Fred Hampton, 
uh, Senior, who you heard in the opening um, theme music for this show that I've adopted now. Uh, yeah, that, that, that was the same year, um, the commissioner's rookie year in the Chicago Police Department, um, when he was gunned down, when, um, Chairman Fred Hampton, Hampton was assassinated in his sleep along with, um, one of the bodyguards. And, uh, they nearly killed it, killed his wife as, as well. So, uh, yeah, he's the head of the 21st century police and task force so you know take that for what it's worth uh anyway the president talked about that he also talked about the bringing i don't think he said bring bringing an end to the program um to arm the police with military grade equipment that's going ongoing over under two different federal programs um I think one is called uh, the 1099 or something like that. He'll, he'll mention it when I play this clip um, through the federal government where they, you know, provide this surplus. But it's also going on through Homeland Security. You know, they're giving out grants and stuff as well to militarize the police. And, you know, for those communities that don't have control over the police, well, obviously you're not con- going to control what they buy with you know when they rob people on the street under asset uh seizure what they call it asset forfeiture seizure some some program where they rob people you know if you got like thousand dollars on you oh you must got this from from selling drugs and the police just take it from you well that goes to their department then they can buy little toys and whatnot uh to terrorize more people people with so there's two several different um, issues here in terms of the military police, the militarization of, of police. And it's not just this one program that we're going to listen to what the president is going to speak about. So it's about maybe 25, 20 minutes long. We're going to listen to it in its entirety. I will be taking notes. Um, I've already watched some of it, but I'm going to, uh, take notes and, and see if there's, um, Anything important that, that he mentions, you know, anytime they're talking about, uh, changes to laws and changes to policy and, and then, you know, especially when you're talking about youth, well, what youth is he talking about? We know he talking about black youth. All right. And they're talking about they're speaking to our youth where we need to listen to what these people saying to our youth and, and, and what's going on. So, um, I'm going to shut down the phone lines for now. And then after this clip plays of the president's speech today, then um, I'll open up the phone lines if anybody has any commentary or any uh, points that they would like to bring up that are brought up by the CEO of the USA. Thank you, everybody. Thank you so much. Thank you, everybody. Everybody, please have a seat. Have a seat. Well, thank you so much. Uh, it is good to be in Camden. I want to thank uh, your Lieutenant Governor, Kim uh, Guadagno, uh, your Congressman, Donald Norcross, and your Mayor, 
Dana Red for being here. Give them all a big round of applause. I want to thank uh, the outstanding facility, our hosts. Uh, you know, the Salvation Army is doing great work, and the Ray Kroc Center here seems like a, just a wonderful, wonderful facility, so we're very proud of them. Uh, I want to thank Camden County Police Chief Scott Thompson for his outstanding work. Where's the chief? There he is. So, uh, I've come here to Camden to do something that might have been uh, unthinkable just a few years ago. And that's to hold you up as a symbol of promise for the nation. Uh, I don't want to overstate it. Obviously, Camden you know, has gone through tough times, and there's still tough times for a lot of folks here in Camden. But just a few years ago, this city was written off as dangerous beyond redemption. A city trapped in a downward spiral. Parents were afraid to let their children play outside. Drug dealers operated in broad daylight. There weren't enough cops to patrol the streets. So two years ago, the police department was overhauled to implement a new model of community police. They doubled the size of the force while keeping it unionized. They cut desk jobs in favor of getting more officers out into the streets, not just to walk the beat, but to actually get to know the residents, to set up basketball games, to volunteer in schools, to participate in reading programs, to get to know small businesses in the area. Now, to be a police officer takes a special kind of courage, and I talked about this on Friday at a memorial for 131 officers who gave their lives to protect communities like this one. It takes a special kind of courage to run towards danger, to be a person that residents turn to when they're most desperate. And when you match courage with compassion, with care, and understanding of the community, like we've seen here in Camden, some really outstanding things can begin to happen. Violent crime in Camden is down 24 percent. Murder is down 47 percent. Open-air drug markets have been cut by 65 percent. The response time for 911 calls is down from one hour to just five minutes, and when I was in the, uh, the center, it was 1.3 minutes right when I was there. And perhaps most significant is that the police and residents are building trust. Building trust. Now, nobody's suggesting that the job is done. This is still a work in progress. Police chief would be the first one to say it. So would the mayor. Camden and its people still face some very big challenges. But this city is on to something. You've made real progress in just two years. And that's why I'm here today, because I want to focus on the fact that other cities across America can make similar progress.
Everything we've done over the past six years, whether it's rescuing the economy or reforming our schools or retooling our job training programs, has been in pursuit of one goal, and that's creating opportunity for all of us, all our kids. But we know that some communities have the odds stacked against them and have had the odds stacked against them for a very long time, in some cases for decades. You've got rural communities that have chronic poverty. You have manufacturing communities that got hit hard when plants closed and people lost jobs. They're not only cities, but also suburbs where jobs can be tough to find and tougher to get to because of development patterns and lack of transportation options. And folks who do work, they're working harder than ever, but sometimes don't feel like they can get ahead. And in some communities, that sense of unfairness and powerlessness has contributed to dysfunction in those communities. You know, communities are like, are like bodies, and, and, and if, if the immunity system's down, they can get sick. And when communities aren't vibrant, where people don't feel a sense of hope and opportunity, then a lot of times that can fuel crime and that can fuel unrest. We've seen in places like Baltimore and Ferguson and New York. And it has many causes from a basic lack of opportunity to some groups feeling unfairly targeted by their police forces. And that means there's no single solution. There have to be a lot of different solutions and different approaches that we try. So one of the things that we did to address these issues was to create a task force on the future of community policing. And this task force was outstanding because it was made up of all the different stakeholders. We had law enforcement, we had community activists, we had young people. They held public meetings across the country. They developed concrete proposals that every community in America can implement to rebuild trust and help law enforcement. The recommendations were released in March. They were finalized today. They include everything from enhanced officer training to improving the use of body cameras and other technologies to make sure that police departments are being smart about crime and that there's enough data for them to be accountable as well. And we're trying to support the great work that's happening at the local level where cities are already responding to these recommendations. And before I go further, I just want the members of our task force to stand because they've done some outstanding work and they deserve to be acknowledged. Thank you. Now, we've launched a police data initiative that's helping Camden and other innovative cities use data to strengthen their work and hold themselves accountable by sharing it with the public. Departments might track things like incidents of force so that they can identify and handle problems that could otherwise escalate. Here in Camden, officers deal with some 41 different data systems, which means they have to enter the same information multiple times. So today we brought a volunteer elite tech team to help a group of data scientists and software engineers and tech leaders. They're going to work with the police department here to troubleshoot some of the technical challenges so it's even easier for police departments to do the things they already want to do in helping to track what's going on in communities and then also helping to make sure that that data is 
used effectively to identify where their trouble spots, where their problems, are there particular officers that may need additional help, additional training. All that can be obtained in a really effective, efficient way. Today we're also releasing new policies on the military-style equipment that the federal government uh, has in the past provided to state and local law enforcement agencies. You know, we've seen how militarized gear can sometimes give people the feeling like there's an occupying force as opposed to a force that's part of the community that's protecting them and serving them. It can alienate and intimidate local residents and send the wrong message. So we're going to prohibit some equipment made for the battlefield that is not appropriate for local police departments. You know, there's other equipment that may be needed in certain cases, but only with proper training. So we're going to ensure that departments have what they need, but also that they have the training to use it. And we're doing these things because we're listening to what law enforcement is telling us. The overwhelming majority of police officers are good and honest and fair. They care deeply about their communities. They put their lives on the line every day to keep them safe. Their loved ones wait and worry until they come through the door at the end of their shift. So we should do everything in our power to make sure that they are safe and help them do the job the best they can. And what's interesting about what Chief Thompson's done and what's happening here in Camden is these new officers, who I have to confess, made me feel old because they all look like they could still be in school. Um, the, the, the approach that the chief has taken in getting them out of their squad cars, into the communities, getting them uh, familiar with the people that they're serving, they're enjoying their jobs more because they feel as if over time they can have more of an impact and they're getting more help from the community because the community's seen them and knows them before there's a crisis, before there's an incident. So it's not just crisis response, it's not after the fact there's a crime, there's a dead body, there's a shooting, and now we're going to show up. It's we're here all the time, and hopefully we can prevent those shootings from happening in the first place. But one of the things I also want to focus on is the fact that a lot of the issues that have been raised here and in places like Baltimore and Ferguson and New York, goes beyond policing. We can't ask the police to contain and control problems that the rest of us aren't willing to face or do anything about. If we as a society don't do more to expand opportunity to everybody who's willing to work for it, then we'll end up seeing conflicts between law enforcement and residents. If we as a society aren't willing to deal honestly with issues of race, then we can't just expect police departments to solve these problems. If communities are being isolated and segregated without opportunity and without investment, and without jobs, 
If we politicians are simply ramping up long sentences for nonviolent drug crimes that end up devastating communities, we can't then ask the police to be the ones to solve the problem when there are no able-bodied men in the community or kids are growing up without intact households. We can't just focus on the problems when there's a disturbance and then cable TV runs it for two or three or four days and then suddenly we forget about it again until the next time. Communities like some poor communities in Camden or my hometown in Chicago, they're part of America too. The kids who grow up here, they're America's children. Just like children every place else, they've got hopes and they've got dreams and they've got potential. And if we're not investing in them, no matter how good Chief Thompson and the police are doing, these kids are still going to be challenged. So we've all got to step up. We've all, all got to care about what happens. Chief Thompson will tell you that his officers read to young children in the communities not just to build positive relationships, but because it's in the interest of the community to make sure these kids can read so they can stay in school and graduate ready for college and careers and become productive members of society. That's in his interest not just as a police chief, but also as a citizen of this country and somebody who grew up in this area and knows this area. And that's why we've partnered with cities and states to get tens of thousands more kids access to quality early childhood education. No matter who they are, where they're born, they should get a good start in life. That's why we've partnered with cities, including Camden, to create what we call Promise Zones, where all hands-on-deck efforts to change the odds for communities start happening because we're providing job training and, and helping to reduce violence and expanding affordable housing. It's why we're ready to work with folks from both sides of the aisle to reform our criminal justice system. We all want safety. And we all know how pernicious the drug culture can be in undermining communities. But this massive trend toward incarceration, even of nonviolent drug offenders, and the costs of that trend are crowding out other critical investments that we can make in public safety. If we're spending a whole lot of money on prisons and we don't have computers or books or enough teachers or sports or music programs in our schools, we are being counterproductive. It's not a good strategy. And so in addition to the work we're doing directly on the criminal justice front, we're also launching something that we call My Brother's Keep, an initiative to ensure that all young people, but with a particular focus on young men of color, have a chance to go as far as their dreams will take them. Now, over, over the coming weeks, uh, 
members of my cab uh, cabinet will be traveling around the country to highlight communities that are doing great work to improve the lives of their residents. We know these problems are solvable. We know that we're not lacking for answers. We're just lacking political will. We have to see these problems for what they are. Not something that's happening to, in some other city to some other people, but something that's happening in our community, the community of America. And we know the change is possible because we've seen it in places like this. We've seen it thanks to people like Officer uh, Virginia uh, Mateus. Where's, where's Virginia? There she is right there. So earlier this year, Vice President Biden and I got to sit with Officer Mateus and rank-and-file law enforcement officers from around the country. Uh, and, and Virginia was talking about how when she was growing up in East Camden, Crime was so bad she wasn't allowed to go to the store alone. Her mom was once robbed at gunpoint. When she was 17, her uncle was shot and killed in his own store. Instead of turning away from Camden, she decided she wanted to become a cop where she grew up to help the community that she loved. And today she's a proud member of the Camden County Police Department. And she's a constant presence in the community getting to know everybody she passes on her beat, even volunteering in a kindergarten. Officer Mateus isn't just helping to keep her community safe. She's also a role model for young people of Camden. And anybody who thinks that things aren't getting better, she says, I see kids playing outside, riding bikes in the neighborhood, on their porches having a conversation. That's how I measure change. And that's how we should all measure change. Now, I had a chance to meet with some of the young people here uh, who participated in a little roundtable with the officers. And they're extraordinary young people. Um, and they've got hopes and dreams just like Malia and Sasha. And they're overcoming some bigger barriers than my children ever had to go through or I had to go through. And they're, they're strong and they're focused. But in talking to them, they, some of them, the reason they've been able to make it uh, and do well is because their parents don't let them out outside. Well, you know what? Children shouldn't have to be locked indoors in order to be safe. That's not right. Some of them still have concerns about friends of theirs that have taken a wrong path and got involved in the streets and drugs. You know, that's not the environment we need our kids to be growing up in. Now, I challenge everybody to get to know some of these young people. They're outstanding. And they're going to do great things in their lives. But but the point is, is, is that, you know, they shouldn't have to go through superhuman efforts just to be able to stay in school and go to college and achieve their promise. That should be the norm. That should be standard. And if it isn't, we're not doing something right. We as a society are not doing something right if it isn't. So, so ultimately, that's how we're going to measure change. Rising prospects for our kids. Rising prospects for the neighborhood. Do our children feel safe on the streets? Do they feel cared for by their community? Do they feel like the police departments care about them? 
Do they feel as if they, when they work hard, they can succeed? Do they feel like the country is making an investment in them? Do they see role models for success? Are there pathways to jobs that they can identify? Do they know that if they put in effort, they can make it? Are they going to be treated fairly regardless of the color of their skin or what their last name is? It's pretty basic. I travel around the country. The one thing that makes me always so optimistic is our children. And what you realize is everywhere, kids are kids. Are kids. Sometimes they'll drive you crazy. They'll make mistakes. But there's an inherent goodness in them. They want to do the right thing. They just need to be given a chance. And some of them aren't going to be lucky enough to have the structures at home that they need, in which case then we all have to pick up the slack. And if we do, they'll respond. They will. But we got to feel like they're there that there are kids. We got to see our children in them, in their eyes. And we haven't done enough of that. But we can. There's a moment of great promise. There's a moment of great hope. And if we're seeing such extraordinary improvement in Camden because of the good efforts of a lot of elected officials and an outstanding police chief and some wonderful police officers and a community that's supportive and nonprofit organizations like Salvation Army and others that are doing some great work. If it's working here, it can work anywhere. It can work anywhere. On the City Hall of Camden, you got an inscription by Walt Whitman. In a dream I saw a city invincible. Well, in a dream I see a country invincible. If we care enough to make the effort on behalf of every child in this country. Camden is showing that it can be done. I want America to show everybody around the world that it can be done. Thank you very much, everybody. God bless. Thank you. to the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. And welcome back. You're listening to Black Talk Radio News. My name is Scotty Reed, and we just got through listening to uh, President Barack Obama's speech on policing, community policing, and he briefly touched upon... um, 
the militarization of the police. Uh, the phone lines are open. 704-951-5030 is the studio line. The number for the conference line is 530-881-1400. That access code is 549032-POUND. And to comment on air, you just hit star six and one on your keypad for your phone. And that will uh, let me know. I was taking plenty of notes, but I, I kind of stopped um, at a certain point when we we're getting more into rhetoric. But I'm going to work my way backwards from his speech. I like the last part of some of the things that, that he said that I thought were speaking to the problem. And one of the main problems one of the last things he talked about is uh, certain people, certain people, certain demographics in this country, uh, they don't have any empathy for black people. They don't look at Freddie Gray as their younger brother or uncle or, or you know, someone who is part of their family. No, they, they look at them all as thugs and criminals and, and whatnot. So that, that speaks to a lack of empathy and that is a problem and and what you know you could call it a lack of empathy or you could just call them call them racist racist suspects well of course somebody that's racist is not going to have empathy for someone who doesn't look like them but something that president obama did did not mention in this particular speech but he mentioned um earlier last or I should say late last week where he talked about Fox News and how Fox News demonizes poor people y'all did y'all hear about that and so he he was dead on they do demonize poor people but it's just not Fox News they are just the most egregious um you know they really really do not try to let's say refine their operations, their propaganda operations, they, everybody can pretty much see, you know, what they are about. And that is promoting racism and white supremacy globally, globally. So I thought it was important that he mentioned that, you know, part of the problem is a lot of you people out there, you don't see these young people as, you know, your children. You don't care about them. And since you don't care about them, you have no empathy about them then you know that fit that's in that's part of the problem that's why these kids don't have resources and things like that so anyway another thing working backwards again he talked about lacking political will and and certainly there um when we talk about political will we're talking about what politicians have on their agendas now, one of the things that he did not mention, because, you know, of course, he did bring up mass incarceration, which we call modern day slavery here on this network. But um their political will has been over the past several decades is to put as many people, black people primarily in prison as possible. That's where that's what they've had the political will to do. So he's saying, you know, that there has been resistance at least that's what I'm interpreting what he has said there has been resistance to um repealing all of these laws and policies that their number one goal is to put people into prisons certainly when you look at 
let's see, Marco Rubio, he's running for president, right? He's a Republican, right? When you look at some of his pol- uh, biggest political donors, when you look at his history of being a politician and, and who he meets with and, you know, who holds fundraisers for him, well, that would be private prison um, companies like the Geo Group, which there was a big protest of a lot of young people at their shareholders meeting that they had in Boca Raton, Florida. But he's pointing to a lack of political will to decriminalize uh, uh, people. And, and that's correct. That's correct. Even though maybe it's, I'm, I'm not seeing it in the same context as he stated. Now he, he talked about programs like Brothers Keepers. I don't know a whole lot about, um, Brothers Keepers. So I'm not going to comment too much on it, but he said that it was launching today. I thought they had been launched that. Maybe they were just talking about it, um, in, in the past. And this is primarily, I think, to, partner up corporations with providing funding to I guess what provide programs and opportunities through this brothers keepers initiative so that that's what I imagine it's about um but I would say for black people particularly young black men but probably just as important for our our you know our daughters as well is a African center like rights initiation, you know, returning them to their roots, giving them a, a true sense of their worth. And that, that is a big problem because, you know, they go to school, I don't know how many hours a day, five days a week, and they're taught nothing but white supremacists propaganda about the founding of this nation and all the great white men through the years who have made this country great we even see an effort in Texas in the education system to rename slavery as some kind of internship this was a jobs program for Africans or something you know so any time that we talk about coming up with an initiative or a program, particularly for non-white children, it has to be some cultural aspect to that as well. People want to talk about the drug culture or the hip-hop culture. All of that's controlled by white people. Let's Let's get that, you know put out there first and foremost anytime we talk about hip hop and the promotion of drug use and violence and uh, misogyny and, and white people control that industry they choose what goes out over the airways they control who gets a record deal there have been some questions and some reports about um, these record executives and corporations also being invested in incarceration or 21st century slavery so I think that we have to we must impress upon our youth that this isn't black culture this is not real black culture little Wayne does not represent black culture little wheezy whatever you know moniker he goes by pseudonym whatever you know 
Nicki Minaj is, is not black culture. She does not represent black culture. These people don't even represent black people. But as Nee Fuller would call, call them, you know, they're being racially showcased. Then the media calls this black culture. And then, you know, pretty soon the masses wish the masses, and this is not a dig at on them, but a dig on the system that has all of these people only reading at a sixth grade reading level. So it's easy to program into their mind and become so accepting as, you know, Little Wayne and, and Nicki Minaj as the king and queens of black culture. And that's not black culture. That's not even culture. It's not organic. It comes from an organic uh, movement called hip hop, but it's been perverted and commercialized. So that's not black culture. But black culture, African culture, indigenous culture, that's important for these children to have a, a source of, of pride. Um, I brought up spending on prisons and, and not communities, and that's something I brought up with the Senate Minority Leader of, of Maryland when she was on Brother Doshan's uh, program was that last Monday night he will by the way be on air tonight um, he has a couple of guests to come on and talk about 50 years since Malcolm X but yeah um, I forget the woman's name her last name is Pew but she's a black female she's a black female and when I mentioned you know why would Baltimore I asked the question, why do you think the officials in Baltimore turned down a program that would divert people away from being locked up and divert them into either drug rehabilitation programs or, you know, uh, jobs training program, but more importantly, not just training them for a job that may or may not exist, but giving them job placement. Why would Baltimore turn down such a program, you know, which we According to Neil Franklin, who is the uh, director of law enforcement against prohibition, who, you know, was on CNN and criticized them and said, you know, why did you turn down this program? It wasn't going to cost Maryland any money. It wasn't going to cost Baltimore any money. It was going to be funded. It's been, you know, very successful thus far. The model programs on the West Coast, and we're looking for a city on the East Coast. And they, and, and they turned it down. And she didn't want to answer that. She didn't want to answer that. It was all about blaming the youth and there's never any excuse for this and there's any never any excuse for that. But when questioned, you know, about the activities or the wisdom on behalf of Baltimore officials, mostly Democrats, the mayor's a Democrat, just like her, you know, legitimate question why would you turn down a program do you think those programs will work you know what I'm saying but you know you don't say that well that's just unacceptable there's no excuse you know to turn down a fully funded program that's going to keep people out of prison and put them into jobs but President Obama talked about spending on prisons and not communities and, and let's just put this out there you know what I'm saying? He is the CEO of this corporation and he wouldn't be giving this speech at all or 
trying to, if we want to, you know, just assume that he's being sincere. He really is trying to address the issue, you know. If we want to assume that, you know, again, all of these problems did not start with Barack Obama, and I highly suspect they will not end with him. All right, he is just a tool of the system, a proxy racist tool. They refine racist white supremacists have appointed to be the CEO of their corporation. Yeah, there was an election, but, you know, do we really want to, you know, talk about federal elections? But anyway, he mentioned spending on prisons and, and, and not communities. This is something we bring up all the time, you know. New Abolitionist Radio. I'm hoping the Abolitionist Daily will be coming back on air soon. But they spend all these... I mean, the plan is simple. If you want to know what the plan is, all you got to do is look at what they're doing. If a community, so-called community, or the political class is voting to cut funding for the building, the improvement for providing more resources for the education of the youth in these communities and they're instead taking that money and they're building prisons, well, then it's pretty evident to me what the plan is. The plan is is to make sure that you have a bunch of people who are not being educated properly who will be virtually unemployable Unless you can put them in prison. So who who's behind all that? Well, the, your representatives, your your representatives are behind that. Your local representatives, your state representatives, and the federal representatives. They are all working together to do this. Now. You know, he also spoke about reforming the criminal justice system. Before I I speak to that, I got another note. Early childhood education investment, he mentioned that. So we can, you know, just put that in the same um, paragraph, if you will, a spending on prisons and not communities. So, uh, but that early childhood education investment been going on for a very, very long time. I can't tell you a whole lot about it because my kids are like, my children are like in their twenties now. So I, I can't really recall that process of getting them into early childhood education, but I'm getting ready to go through it now with my grandson who I'm hoping we can homeschool, but yeah, he's at that age now, four years old, where they test them and, and see, you know, um, if they are ready for the indoctrination program. So anyway, now let me go on to reforming the criminal justice system. And before I I'll put a check mark by this, because I want to go to the phone line. Again, the studio line is 704-951-5030. The conference line is 530-881-1400. Participant code 549032-POUND. Hit star six and one to comment. And we have someone from the conference line, area code 973. Uh, 
what are your thoughts on what we just listened to from um President Obama on this uh community policing and militarized police and and criminal justice reform? What are your thoughts? Well, I want to thank you for uh, playing that, Mr. Reed. I'm in New Jersey, and of course, uh, Camden is way, way far from me, but it is in my home state. Okay. Um, first of all, I just want to be encouraged. Uh, I try to stay encouraged every day. I just want to shout out to a Diana Richardson. Uh, she's from the Working Families Party in New York. She got elected to the New York 11th Congressional District, and I, I'm happy for that because that's not a party that we're used to in terms of a party that's known like the uh, Democratic and the uh, Republican Party is another party that's being formed. And I just want to try to stay encouraged that hopefully that can catch on to momentum. I don't usually listen to President Obama's speeches anymore because I just feel like they're a bunch of rhetoric. But since he was here in Camden, I just wanted to hear what he has to say. I did take some notes. One of the things I find very disingenuous is that he always inserts his kids. His kids, his kids are very sheltered. They will never live... They live a very privileged life. So when he says that, he, when he makes reference to his kids, I really feel he should say that, you know, uh, Malika and, and the other one is going to be very care, I mean, taken care of for the rest of their lives. So he should not really insert them. I just find that to be very disingenuous when he does so. He talked about uh, the, I feel this way, Mr. Reed. I think I was listening to a program that you had on your network where Sophie Carmichael was outlining what is needed in the black community. One of the things he said is that if you're not talking about inserting a whole bunch of money in the black community trying to get jobs, then just shut up. Just mm. like our New Deal mm -hmm. president, okay? When he, he, was, he was part of the rich class and he knew how to talk to those people because people were dying in the streets. There were no pensions. They were dying in the streets, so he went to his people and said, listen, we're going to need lots and lots of money to get this thing together or there's going to be a revolution and it's not going to be pretty. And he got a lot, a lot of money, Mr. Reed, from those people to get this new deal going. We need a lot of new deals in these, uh, these communities. I'm tired of him talking about this brother's keeper and all this other stuff that he talks about. Yet when he has his, his, um, he does his conference, you, I, I look to the end of it and no questions being asked. That is that why, um, Hillary Clinton feels like she doesn't have to have to answer any questions. Why didn't he stay there and let the audience ask him questions instead of everybody taking pictures? You saw these these uh, non-white people, I mean white women, taking pictures, acting like it's like he's a, a movie star or something like that. I just find that very disrespectful that he did not take any questions. So I, I I'm like this. He's the CEO. There's a lot of things he can do right now through executive order. Mm -hmm. He can. And, and and he did the uh, Race for the Top program. Remember when he pumped billions of dollars into education? Why would he pump billions of dollars into these communities? These communities need money. These factories are gone. They need jobs. That is what they need, not a bunch of rhetoric. I'm sorry if I'm being passionate or whatever, sir, but I'm just tired of the gimmick that Malcolm X talks about. It's just a gimmick. Thank you, and I'm mute my life. All right. Uh, no need to apologize for passion because I'm told that, you know, I can get passionate sometime. That just means that you think deeply and care deeply um, about these issues. If nothing, if we never get impassioned about anything, then, you know, um, we might have a problem, you know, uh, personally, because that means we don't care about anything. Um, yeah. I, um, 
there are things that he could do. Um, and that kind of, I'm a, I'm a take off on the point where you talked about the executive order. Um, I had wrote down, you know, he mentioned reforming the criminal justice system. He mentioned, you know, too many people are being locked up. The same rhetoric that we're hearing from the Clintons. And, you know, all of this, first of all, let's give credit where credit is due. She mentioned, you know, how this other politician was able to get money because of the threat of revolution. He told them, look, it's going to be revolution. It's not going to be pretty. They're going to be burning things down. They're going to be destroying this. They're going to be, it's going to cost y'all all kinds it's going to cost y'all billions of dollars you know and of course I'm just imagining how that conversation went and so therefore don't you think it ought to be cheaper to just you know um, invest in a jobs program to keep them from tearing up the city or whatnot. So again, you know, um, this, there's this whole question that leads us to the question, well, what's legitimate protest and what's not legitimate protest? Um, Malcolm X said by any means necessary. Um, Mark, um, excuse me, Frederick Douglass said power concedes nothing without a demand. So we have different ways that we make our different demands, but the whole thing is, is being heard. And, and so shout out to, all the protesters, I don't care if you were out there committing acts of what people call senseless acts of violence and destroying property and whatnot, and we understand some of that might have been by uh agents and whatnot, you know, police themselves, uh just to make other protesters look bad. Regardless, all of that, all of that is legitimate because it is a reaction to a very serious problem. Now, reforming the criminal justice system as we look at these people um again hillary clinton's not speaking to the media she's not answering questions she's just putting out uh statements and whatnot jeb bush just got cornered by a student reporter um the other day and so you know um, the only thing we're hearing is rhetoric on criminal justice. In terms of the CEO of America, Ron Paul said if he was elected president that he would um, pardon every last single non-violent so-called drug offender. He said the drug on war is racist. It targets such uh, uh, certain communities like the black community. This is a white man speaking, okay? And, and so he said that as the executive over the executive branch he will pardon them all well if president obama if this isn't just rhetoric if this isn't just an attempt to appease people and get them to calm down a little bit and say you know we're working on these things and and whatnot to me and then he says lacking a, p- a political will remember i mentioned that that we lack a political will to do anything about this problem well wouldn't it speak louder if the ceo of this corporation took the stance that Ron Rand Paul, no excuse me, Ron Paul said in acknowledging that that policing is racist, that the drug war is racist, that mass incarceration is racist, and so therefore uh I'm gonna take the bold step of pardoning all, all of these thousands of prisoners. That would speak louder to me, that would show me that he is serious you know, um, more than just a bunch of words. Acknowledging the problem and then providing a solution for the problem is two, two different things. Both are needed. Both are needed. First, you gotta know that there, a problem exists. Then you analyze the problem. Then you implement a solution. All right. 
And I don't really see in him on the issue of modern 21st century slavery, what they call mass incarceration. I'm not taking him serious. I'm not taking any of these presidential candidates serious unless they are willing to meet that bar and just that one specific act of pardoning all of these nonviolent so-called drug offenders. They should not be there. And instead of building prisons, if you're so worried about people doing drugs, then why not invest in, 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 uh, community drug rehabilitation programs? How about funding some clinics and whatnot? How about putting some money behind some public service announcements? Again, some anti-drug propaganda. You know, like you have, you know, the, uh, uh, what they say, click it or ticket here in North Carolina to get people to buckle their seatbelts. Surely we can come up with some clever PSAs to tell people don't smoke crack or don't shoot heroin or crystal meth is bad for you. Instead of just looking to round up all of these people who are self-medicating for various reasons and putting them on a prison plantation. Certainly a caring, sympathetic society would choose that route as opposed to incarceration. So he could, he could really send a strong message to other politicians about, you know, having the political will to address this, this issue in a substantive, uh, way. And, and I just don't see that happening. Now, then we could get into, you know, about what he's allowed to do. You know, what his board, which they call his cabinet, we know is full of racist suspects and, and confirmed white supremacists. That's their board of directors. Again, they call it the cabinet. We know he takes these kind of decisions to them. So it, it's not all in his hands. It's not the last time a president uh, attempted to buck the system. He got assassinated. That was John F. F. Kennedy. So I do have to acknowledge that he does face a lot of pressure. But again, that's why I say if you are not willing to practice justice from the positions which you seek, if if, if a position that you're seeking doesn't allow you to practice justice, then damn it, don't take it. Don't take it. If it means harming people, then don't take it. It's that simple. But since you did, since you have taken this job, and as way most people understand politics and how it works and things of that nature, then of course the masses are, are going to address you first. So any kind of thing about criminal justice reform, unless they start talking about repealing laws, eliminating the drug enforcement agency, which in, in my opinion that, you know, Ron Paul even said he would get rid of that. But what did most people focus on? The media, I mean, what did they direct most people's focus on? Where he said he would eliminate the Department of Education. Then, you know, even black people, a lot of black teachers and educators and, oh, you can't eliminate the Federal Department of Education. 
And I'm like, I don't have a problem with it because, I mean, what? how is this education system in America serving us anyway? It ain't serving our children. Again, most people in this country only have a sixth grade reading level. They determine it at your third grade, you know, after they test you of whether or not to build prison cells or to build crack classrooms. Then as Max and them have figured out, you know, you got police, I mean, excuse me, teachers unions, uh, universities of so-called higher education also invested in private prison slavery. So we, this is a very complex problem. It's very complex, but, you know, even though he's a racist suspect, he might even be a white supremacist. I do not know. But Ron Paul, when I look at the policies and the things that he said he would do, now whether or not if he got in there and actually did them is a different story. But we know, I learned from him, the power that the executive branch holds because we like to use as an excuse well the president can't do this because the Republicans you know they taking over the house and he has a very slim the Democrats have a very slim majority in the Senate so you know his hands are tied no no they not he couldn't set every non-violent so called drug offender or let's not even uh stop there I don't think women or men, for that matter, who are locked up for acts of pro- for you know engaging in prostitution, as long as there was no victim, as long as there was no child involved, why are we putting these people in prison? Or what? We trying to impose some kind of moral standard on them that this country can't even live up to, this this nation can't even live up to, with all the criminality that goes on. You know, any of those DEA agents that got those prostitutes as gifts down there in Colombia from the uh, drug cartels uh, any of them get brought up on prostitution charges no they did not so again you know we do focus a lot on the drug war but there are a lot of things that people are on a slave plantation for that I don't even consider to have committed a crime maybe I wouldn't approve of that certain behavior maybe you know I wouldn't go out there and sell my body because, you know, I'm two months behind in electricity. But, you know, that's me. I find some other means. If I got to sell plasma, if I got to go pick up scrap metal, go sell it, whatever, you know, but I'm not, you know, that's just me. But I'm not going to judge that person for, you know, hell, that's the Hey, they trying to survive. A lot of people in prison for crimes of survival. Again, this sentencing reform. Now, he is most heralded for what? The crack cocaine, reducing the crack cocaine disparity where, you know, it, it went down from 100 to 1 to 18 to 1, which is still a disparity, but that's all he, I guess he could get, you know, the uh racist suspects to go along with because, again, most of them getting funded by prison lobby groups and, and the police and they want to keep all, all of this going but the thing is what a lot of people don't know is when they pass that law when people in the federal prisons in there for non-violent drug crimes the majority of them when they started applying for this sixth sentencing reform oh all of a sudden um 
You forgot to read the fine print. See, you forgot to read the fine print because it says that you can't have gotten in trouble in the past. You couldn't have any write-ups or anything like that. Never mind the fact that you shouldn't even be in here, but since you got in the fight because you was trying to defend yourself from getting raped or whatever, you know, you you, you don't apply. You can't get out. I'm sorry. You're going to have to uh, serve your sentence. That's what the Justice Department did with Eric Holder quote unquote uh, in, in charge I bring these things up is because is we I don't want people to just be falling for words things sound good they may even be correct but what are the actions what what actions are, are these people taking now you know I'm going to jump over some stuff for the sake of time because we do have a Tando radio show coming on at 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern time uh, hosted by brother David Wren uh, two hours of information uh, they talk a lot about being prepared uh, preparedness uh, banking just things that we need to know about that I don't feel like we spend enough time talking about so um, make sure y'all check him out coming up here at 6 o'clock p.m. Uh, Eastern time now um, I, I want to get to some of these policy issues again um, because he's acting like I'm kind of, these one set of notes that I took kind of concern me, all right, and that's about the police data initiative and how they got all these different data systems, and I thought that was interesting because that's revealing the internal workings and whatnot, and then he talking about tracking communities, and, and the first thing I wrote that came to my mind was, damn, he trying to pull a Romney manual. They're talking about you know, these quote unquote gang databases and tracking people in the community. That kind of sounds kind of big brotherish to me. So I, I, I don't know. I, I'll address that, but we do have another caller. Um, I believe this is my brother, my abolitionist brother Peace, from brother. another mother. What's going on, Max? Uh, everything is good, man. Uh, just here getting ready to head out to downtown Columbia and, uh, attend an event for the first time in six months. <laughs> You know, I haven't been getting out much lately because I was working on all of the uh, research and writing and things like that. Mm -hmm. But I did listen to the speech earlier that you played, and uh, as usual, a couple of things struck me uh, clearly. One was, it's it's really clear that he wants to work with and within the system, rather than have the courage to stand against the system as the president, as it is. So... It's kind of like, you know, being an overseer during the uh, 1800s and complaining about slavery. I mean, you're, you're a part of the system. And the other thing is he has this tendency to give false hope. I mean, I was sitting there listening to him go, oh, man, in my heart I'm hearing other people waking up to what's happening because he's saying it, whereas no one else has really been saying it. But his actions completely contradict what he's saying. Right. So, you know, like he just signed the NDAA into a, a law again. Yeah, I was just reading about that, Max, if I could just briefly interject, because yeah. I won't have time to cover it. But what Max is speaking of, Congress just, you know, they had this annual uh, piece of legislation that they passed, the National Defense Authorization Act, and they just passed one. And from what I read, they stashed like almost $100 billion away for emergency fund for wars. Now, don't you think that that money would be better spent investing in these communities he was talking about? <laughs> exactly. And, and another thing that he's doing is these trade agreements that we're making right now 
uh, international trade agreements, which is, again, taking jobs from American citizens and giving them to, if not prisons here in the United States, which is frequently uh, and increasingly becoming the norm, but to other nations who treat their own employees like dirt and uh, provide slave wages and slave labor. So that's contradictory to what he's saying. And I also heard him mumbling and fumbling when he started to address mass incarceration because it's very difficult to be as bright as this brother is, as well-learned and understanding of what's going on and not be able to say it out loud. So he had to fumble and mumble to not offend the police. Yeah, trying not. to be codified is the right, way that exactly. I, which, which, Max, I kind of understand that. I understand where you're coming from, but I understand also political speak. And a lot right. of times you got to read in between the lines and whatnot. But we would, it would be, you know, uh, desirable if they just spoke in so-called plain English and just spoke to it, just speak to it. I mean, he did mention that, you know, uh, we, well, I have wrote a note. This country still unwillingness to deal honestly about race. But he said he says these things, and I think it's good that he says them. You know, Michelle Obama just just you know spoke about racism, and I'm glad we need that. We need the CEO telling these people that these people ain't making this stuff up and like that. But again, though, again, it, when you're part of the system, you can only go so far. It's it, it's it, it's the way I, I'm reading it. Well, the good news is that inadvertently he helped just by bringing the conversation to the fore. Right. But what I would like listeners to try and do one day is every time you hear or read or see the word racism, replace it with slavery and see how it sounds. Mm-hmm. Because that's basically what they're talking about. That's really where race-based slavery all this power from. Mm-hmm. Because we are still an enslaved people. They still sell us on the open market. They still kidnap us in the streets, abuse us with, imp- with impunity, and murder us when, when they see fit and get away with it. So replace racism with slavery and see how it sounds. Right. Okay. Um, he was, uh, we're hearing, is that you, Max? I'm hearing some background noise. Is that on your end? Uh, hold on. Okay. Uh, um, anyway, he talked about this police data initiative, and he's saying that these police departments got like 41 different data systems that they got to enter stuff. That, Scotty. I think somebody picked the phone up on the other end. Anyway, I've said everything that I need to say, man. Okay. I'm ready to head out. I appreciate you. Keep up the good work, brother. And uh, this Wednesday, we'll be together again for New Abolitionist Radio, 8 p.m. All right, Max. Be safe. Peace, brother. All right, peace. Uh, he was talking about those police data initiatives. He was saying like they got 41 different data systems that they got to enter information into and, and you know, I don't really believe that. I don't believe that. I've been in police departments before. I, I just refuse to, to believe. Let, let me see. I think that, yeah, that was Max's line. All right. Um, I just don't believe that they got 41 different databases. I would like to know the names of these databases and they're talking about streamlining it and that's what make building a better slave trap. That's what concerns me. That's what it sounds like they're building a better slave trap. 
You know, we got this police data initiative and yeah, we're going to use it to collect police brutality statistics and things of that nature. But at the same time, we're also going to be tracking communities. And when they're talking about that, they're talking about gang databases. Again, you know, I've been hearing a lot of people, a lot of, uh, uh, well-known people, uh, who, who speak on issues have been talking about, you know, this country headed towards Nazi Germany in regards to its treatment of non-white people. People, primarily black people and see this is these things like police data initiatives you know things like that they concern me they concern me because it makes them easier to put us in a database and, and know all their information about us and so when they get ready to round people up which you know they have been practicing and it's not I'm not a conspiracy theorist theorist uh Jay Helm is a real military exercise that has been going on here in the past few days in the southern part of the United States so and, and what is it collaboration between special forces sheriff's departments and police departments so you know when they start talking about stuff like like that and fun and stuff like that instead of them just you know well let's repeal these non-violent uh um whether it's drug laws whether it's this whether it's that where there is actually no victim no one has been harmed no one's had anything stolen from them you know man we don't need to be locking up people for stuff like that you know but then but you want to be able to put them into these databases i it just doesn't sound good to me. And what what have we seen through the NSA, the National uh, Security Agency? What had they been doing? I talked about it last week, I believe, where they were feeding information to the DEA, the DEA feeding that information to local police departments and prosecutors to where they illegally obtain, you know, people talking on Facebook, talking in Gmail, talking on their cell phones about some nonviolent drug transaction. And so, yeah, you know, even though we illegally obtain this information violating their Fourth Amendment rights, here's how you lie about it. How you obtain the information and so you can get convictions. So again, we're talking about criminals. We're talking about, it's not like, see, he want to say most, the majority of the cops are good. I'm sure he would say the same thing about the majority of the people working in the criminal justice system. But the fact remains is the reality is, is the majority of them are not good people. All right. They are not. What they do is not good. Maybe they haven't come into the the uh, conscious awareness that they are engaging in the enslavement of human beings. Maybe that hasn't come into their minds yet. But what they actually do is practice slavery and human trafficking. So I just have a hard time referring to people like that as being good. Damn. I mean, is there such thing as a good slave patroller? Is there such thing, you know, as a good slave overseer, plantation overseer, plantation warden? No, not in my world. So, again, this is just a speech. I think it was important what, what our first caller uh, brought up about him not answering questions. Because, see, these are the times of questions that they might get asked. And because they might get asked these questions, well, that's why they don't have question and answer sessions with people like you and me. So, 
Um, I will be very concerned about this data initiative. Maybe it's, it's innocent. Maybe they just trying to become more efficient and, and whatnot. But I mean, I find that hard to believe. Look, Scotty Reed, I, I ain't trying to hide nothing about my past. I've been arrested several times, okay, for various things, mostly behind fighting or something like that, right? Bar brawls and things of that nature in my youth. I've been arrested a bunch of times. Now, I ain't going to say a bunch of times, but let's say maybe 10 times in my lifetime. Each time I was booked into a jail. You know, I went through the process. Now, you know, I've never been to prison and never been accused of serious crime. Like, you know, that would recall, that would call for me being put in prison. But I went through the system and it, and, and so I just, I'm not buying this 41 databases they got to enter information to because I only seen them entering information into one. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I think, you know, he might be engaging in exaggeration there and, and, you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. But I am just not feeling too good about, you know, whenever they start talking about creating databases and whatnot. Um, what else did I write down? Um, how much time I got? We got a little bit of time. Um, let's see. Holding up Camden as a model for the rest of the nation. It seemed to me like he was giving the police a little bit too much credit there in terms of violent crime being down, open air drug markets, which, you know, again, you know, like I mentioned last week, I ain't got a problem with people selling drugs as long as they ain't selling to children because I ain't got no job to give you. All right. I can't support you. At this point in time, Black Talk Media Project is not doing any hiring. So, you know, who am I to say how you get your money as long as you're not harming another individual? So I ain't got a problem with that. But what I do have a problem with is open-air drug markets because you make it easy for the police. And plus, don't nobody want to see all that in their community. Now again, I don't know what he's referring to as an open air drug market. Hell, that could be that could be five brothers sitting in a vacant lot in a community, sitting around shooting a, you know, talking about things, whatever they talk about. And people coming up to them, you know, buying drugs or, or whatnot. Now, you, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do that because you make it easier for them to target you and to be a slave. And you want, you don't want everybody to know your business and whatnot. Stop listening or stop being, um, influenced by white people's media, like their movies and their, their television programs that glorify that kind of like that, you know, like that's something to be proud of. No, you just a person trying to survive. I hope that you're not like one of my cousins. Now, I, did, I had a cousin who was a big time drug dealer. And my brother asked him, man, why do you keep selling drugs when you didn't made all this money? You got all the things you need. Why, why do you continue to sell drugs? He talking about he addicted to the lifestyle trying to be Tony Montana you know what I'm saying 
stuff he watching in the movies and whatnot. You know, he going to, he wasn't selling it in our community. He, he knew better than that. He went to Charlotte where he was selling his, his drugs. So there are people that don't even need to sell drugs, but they, they get caught up in this, this, this mythological persona where they want to be the next Nino Brown or something like that. Uh, uh, again, eventually my cousin got busted, did some time in prison. Now he drives a truck. But if you really want to stop, if you want to close open air drug markets, if you want to stop people from selling drugs, on the street from a government perspective, from a government policy, because I feel like if we want to stop those things in our communities, then we don't need the doggone police. We don't need the mayor. We don't need the district attorney. We don't need the congressperson, the city council person. We don't need them to have conversations with people that live in our community to get them to take their business indoors. To get them to not engage in violence against one another. That's what real community policing is. Real community policing doesn't involve the police. It involves members of the community policing their community. But the U.S. government ain't trying to stop none of this. And President Obama should just be honest about it. If you're not ready to abolish the Drug Enforcement Agency, which you should, since they just got busted, not what, last year it came out, 2014, where they working with the Sinaloa drug cartel, allowing all those drugs, and if they ain't bringing in drugs, they bringing in weapons as well. And shipping it to Chicago, and then from Chicago to points unknown, you know, that woman who oversaw that program, every agent involved in that was engaged in crime. Under the guise of, well, you know, these are deals you have to make with the devil uh, for the overall, you know, to meet the overall goal. That's BS. But if they were really concerned about, about that again, they would just repeal the drug war and stop, you know, trying to lock up people instead get them help for the hopelessness that they feel through jobs and, and things of that nature. Uh, Max had brought up some things. He, the president mentioned these jobs going overseas, right? And, and loss of manufacturing jobs. That's like in the area I live in. Uh, I mean, it's probably like cotton, Cotton mills every four or five miles. No, I'm probably not, not like that, but that was the major employer in, in the rural area that I live in in North Carolina. Cotton mills. You know, most of my cousins, that's what everybody looked at when they was, you know, graduating high school is, you know, trying to get on with the local cotton mill. That's the biggest, was the biggest employer around here. Then we had, you know, spinoffs to that, that industry. All those jobs are gone. All those jobs are gone. And there has been nothing brought in to replace them. But then I find it awful funny that once you get them on a prison plantation, they can then get jobs with AT&T, Verizon, Sprint, 
Walmart will employ them. All these major retail stores, you know, the chain stores using prison labor, paying them slave wages and all that. Hey, how come those jobs weren't available before them people got locked up? See what I'm saying? These people playing games. They playing games. And see, that that's the question I would have asked him. I was like, well, how many jobs do you think would be created for people in these communities if Unicorn shut down? What is Unicorn? Oh, Unicorn is the corporation owned by your corporation, the USA, that uses prison slave labor to produce goods and services and then market those goods and services to corporations like call centers work. So they know, to me, they are, they are trending towards increasing slavery, not reducing the, the amount of people being incarcerated. It's all about keeping that revenue flow. And if they, they decriminalize stuff, repeal this, repeal that, then, you know, it's a whole lot of corporations gonna be unhappy cause now they ain't making up money, you know, stripping people of their liberties and freedoms. And we talk about that more in depth, like Max mentioned on New Abolitionist Radio. Now again, um, going back to political will, some of the things I, I, I mentioned again, it's not all on him, but there is a lot he could do far more than what he's doing as the CEO of the executive branch of this government. But Max had mentioned the new NDAA that they just passed. I think it was something like they set aside something like 89 billion. I could be incorrect. It, it might be half of that, but I, it was in the billions as an emergency fund for war to attack other countries, to go in and intervene in this and that, to maintain this empire. But how long has the president been talking about a jobs bill to rebuild infrastructure in this country? Rebuild the bridges, rebuild the roads, extend, you know, uh, um, access to the internet. That's a lot of cable that can be laid. That would create a lot of jobs. You know, programs like that to build up the infrastructure. But, but, oh, Congress doesn't want to pass a bill like that. Now, not to, you know, but the president, he's probably not going to say, you know what? I'm going to veto this bill because I don't think we need $89 billion set aside for future wars. I think that money would be better invested in, let's say, early childhood education. Or I think it would be better better in, invested in, you know, a transportation program to, to address some of the serious issues with the transportation network. And, and create jobs. See, he, he, he could do that, but he's not. He's not. He is as a proxy tool of the system coming out, acknowledging some stuff that we already knew. And that's good. 
because usually you don't even get that. And he's mentioning this initiative and he's mentioning that and you know he's not really getting at addressing the problem now he mentioned taking away their their tools and, and whatnot their um military tanks and whatnot and he said how and, and this is another thing that i noticed with him i get tired of him saying people feel like they being targeted or people feel like they have no opportunities it, it's past feelings brother come on now you don't have to be that politically correct when you have the data and, and, and you know all the numbers that statisticians have put together to show that these people don't feel like nothing that it is real didn't the department of justice Ferguson report show that that these people weren't feeling these weren't these people's Feelings. They weren't feeling oppressed. They actually were being oppressed, according to the Department of Justice. So, you know, that's just a, one of my pet peeves with him, that whenever he says something about the black community and he's talking to white people, he's saying to them, they feel like this or that is happening. They have these feelings. And to me, that's like BS. It is BS. I don't feel like it's BS. It is BS. When you have the data that shows that this is not a feeling. This is a policy. You know it's a policy. People feel like they're being targeted. Well, what did the federal courts just say about stopping questioning frisk and ruling it unconstitutional? The, the, the New Yorkers weren't feeling like they were being stopped and frisked, which means targeted. We know they were being targeted. So, I mean, like, he just really kills me. Like, you know, he, he's going out of his way to, it's like he's kind of like acknowledging us, but then he's not acknowledging us because he ain't even talking to us. He talking to them. We, you know, they feel like this. I'm not saying I agree with it, but, it, you know, that's how they feel. Come on, man. I kind of jumped ahead of myself. I had mentioned violent crimes. Again, giving a shout out to, to the people, the grassroots. He talked about in Camden, violent crime being down 46 or 47%, murders being down 46 or 47%, uh, just, you know, but hell, that's been the trend nationwide. According to the Department of Justice statistics, that all violent crime has been done, been going down. And I don't so much would, I would not so much attribute this to his so-called beat cops solution where you're getting more people out on the streets in the community talking to people and this and that. I don't talk to police. I'm just going to be honest with you. I do not talk to police. I will speak to them if they say, hello, Mr. Reed, how you doing, officer? And I'm going about my way. I'm not having conversations with police because they trying to gather intelligence on somebody in my community. And I, ain't, you know, unless they talking about breaking up a human trafficking ring where, you know, little teenage girls are being forced into prostitution. Yeah, I will give you information on something like that. I will snitch. And again, this goes to, you know, P 
people who have sets of rules, they don't apply to every situation. But I don't snitch to police on my neighbor. You know, I don't snitch on my neighbors to police. I don't, I don't do that. But if you're doing something like running a teenage prostitution ring and, and doing that to, I'm snitching. I'm just letting you know I'm snitching. But other than that, do you know what I'm saying? Uh, I'm not talking to the police. And I wouldn't want the police always stopping me to just talk to me and ask me how my day is going. No, I, I'm not trying to have no small talk with the police. Because I know the police job still, number one job is to put a black person into slavery. And then we have communities like let's say my community I mean there's a sizable black population where I live not just you know this little radius where it's mostly my family but I mean there are different pockets in these little towns and stuff of you know large numbers of black people and, and hell hell the police don't bother us they ain't stopping us and frisking us and they ain't talking to us and, and asking this and asking that and, and knocking on doors and stuff like that And we don't have high crime in this area. Well, let me rephrase that. We don't have crime in this area that people's being arrested for because we don't snitch. We don't snitch on people for smoking cannabis. We don't snitch on people for selling cannabis. Long as they keep it indoors, long as they are not shooting up the neighborhoods, we don't care. It ain't none of our business how they get their money. They ain't getting their money in, 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 in no way that's worse than how bankers get their money. Cause, you know, bankers launder the drug money. So, you know what I'm saying? But we always want to focus on the, on the so-called street criminals while we let these criminals in office, in high office, in, in, you know, these corporations, they can, can commit massive fraud and laundering drug money, but hell, they don't, jail's too big. You know, too, it's not, jail is not for them. These are wealthy white men and women. We don't put them in prison for this stuff. We just get our cut and we say, don't, don't get caught again. But if any violent crime is going down in, in communities, I attribute that to the community itself because I know that people have been working hard to reduce violence in their communities for decades. Hell, in the 80s, I remember. I mean, self-destruction. Y'all remember that track? The East Coast rappers and the West Coast rappers came together, came out with this public service announcement called you know, it's about four or five minutes because it was a rap song, but I call it a public service announcement saying, you know, stop the violence. Any violent crime that is going down, I, I attribute that not to police. I attribute that to the people themselves. There are some other instances because, you know, I just don't see, I just don't see how that applies in every place, every single place. So I don't know what's going on in Camden that made it so violent 
other than he talked about no jobs, these people not having jobs. So again, they know the problem is people not having jobs. People ain't out there selling drugs, doing drugs cause, you know, for the hell of it. Cause there's nothing better to do. The vast majority of people who engage in that lifestyle or, or that activity, they do it cause they kind of forced to. And they know this. They know this. There are no jobs. There are no jobs. Period. Because what? You first you send them overseas and then when you brought them back, you put them in the prisons. So how are these people? And then you're cutting the SNAP program and the social safety net and saying the government is spending too much money and these poor people just don't want to work hard and therefore they don't deserve to eat and, and all this and that. You know what I'm saying? They, they don't bring up these things, but President Obama knows it. That's what I interpret him saying. No jobs and no opportunity. That's what, that's why these people out here doing what they doing. Now he mentioned something about 131 cops died. He was at some event. Where, uh, when? When did 131 cops get killed? Cops get killed. Yes, they do. But not at those rates. What was that? Like 131 in the past? hundred years or something past 50 years I, I don't know and and I actually did look up statistics just for I don't know I get things in my head and I just want to know and I was like well how many how many cops got killed in 2014 and so I found this database of, of cops being killed right and the vast majority of cops are being killed in traffic accidents man and other accidents very, you know, the vast majority of cops are not getting shot and killed on the streets, rushing in to save somebody. No, they rushing in to enslave somebody, not save them. So that's that, that rhetoric, you know, that Max was talking about, that pro-police rhetoric and whatnot. They're just all good people who just trying to help. Yeah, help you right into a job called slavery. So, um, again, it is important to dissect what these people said because it is. It's going to be a lot of people feeling good about what he said, and they're going to be giving them high fives and you know virtual high fives and saying he's right and he is right about some of the things. But we've known these things for for years. How how many damn decades have black folks been saying these things? You know. I mean, we we could just use Ferguson as a microcosm. Y'all said that people in Ferguson been complaining about their brutal treatment for decades. And so now we've gone in and investigated. And you know what? They're telling the truth. They they knew what they were talking about. What well, damn it? We know what we're talking about now. We've been known what the problem is. And the problem is you still practicing slavery. It's as simple as that. Um, let me see. Recommendations for the policing task force was a note I wrote down. So apparently they've been having these so-called community meetings. And I guess people really did get to ask questions at these meetings. And they said through activists and stuff like that. I have not heard about any of these community meetings. And I know I have a network that I'm plugged into of grassroots organizations and activists all over the country. And I have yet to hear one of them send me a, 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 
email or post something to Facebook about, hey, I attended this, this community meeting on 21st century policing task force and they gave me an opportunity to speak and, and speak my mind and they really cared about what I had to say and, and yeah, I mean, I'm sure some of them may have happened, but who are these activists? Because see, the U.S. government funds its own activists, grassroots activists, they call them. Do they not? Certainly they do. We have outside forces who fund organizations like George Zoros. He's a leftist. He calls himself a progressive and, and some of the things that's on his agenda, I don't have a problem with. But at the same time, though, I do have a problem with when, you know, we have to depend on people like that outside of our community to fund the things that we want to do. George Soros, a, a, a billionaire, heard he made his money through the stock market. Well, I wonder if he made his money on prison slavery. So I don't know when he says that community activists, I mean, who are these people? He could be talking about the NAACP. Hell, he could have been talking about the local Obama fan club. We don't know who these people were and why weren't they televised, you know, at least on C-SPAN or something. I mean, you, you live stream this, this speech you gave in Camden, why y'all didn't live stream these task force and have a, a virtual town hall where we can all be involved in, in get nothing like that happened, but already, at least I'm not aware of anything like that happening, but already they've come up with recommendations. Well, recommendations are just, you know, recommendations. Don't nobody have to follow your recommendations. And I suspect that they won't follow. The mass majority of these departments like things the way they are. And they're not going to follow your recommendation. So a recommendation does not have the weight of the, of, of law behind it. It's just, hey, I recommend you stop killing people. You need to take it or leave it. You know, you don't have to follow my recommendation, but I recommend you stop killing people before people start killing you and targeting you. And then, you know, we're seeing four and five cops shot a day like we're seeing, you know, citizens shot a day, you know. So I, I recommend y'all stop all that. But you don't, you know, I don't have no way to force them to stop killing people. I can recommend make all the recommendations that I want to. So again, I was very skeptical about a policing task force headed by a 30, 40 year veteran who also has a spotty record on policing. I don't care about people's skin color when it comes to these sort of things. I don't, I don't see skin color. I see red, white, and blue. I see an agent of the system. The system, you know, throws that curved ball of black faces at us, but you know, I'm hip to that now. It no longer affects me. So, um, we, we, we just got a lot of work to do, people. And the answer from what I'm hearing from people who know a whole lot better than myself, who have been engaged in grassroots organizing, you know, uh, out there in the trenches, and borrowing from our, our, you know, ancestors and our elders who say the answer is kicking the police out your damn community. That's the answer right there. Or 
community control of the police where the police answer to the people because right now that's not what it, it is right now at no point ever have people ever had control of their police not that I'm aware of and so that's what I'm hearing that's what you know some of the handbooks on community organizing and addressing police terrorism in our communities that's what they suggest communities we you know people in the community we have to stop seeing each other as the enemy there are no bad guys there are no good guys in our in our community there are people who are doing things that we find may not be constructive but why are they doing those things and once we know why they're doing those things then we can then work on how do we correct that behavior but calling the damn police on them ain't the damn answer and I mean that I'm tired of people calling the police on people when they can handle stuff in their own community kick them out the community don't fall for this the police is Joe friendly and he's just coming in the community to help cause he's not he's there to hunt slaves for the system that's why they have quotas that's why they get promoted based on the number of arrests that they make don't you fall for this Do you want to address police violence in our community? We don't need no damn task force. We need these people to be prosecuted and convicted. We need justice to be applied equally. We don't need task force. We don't need a whole bunch of new laws and, and things of that nature. When the nature of policing for our community is to enslave us or keep us under control. Damn it, if I'm free, I don't need to be kept under control. So, I I, I tell you, man, we just got to get keep we just got to keep studying. We just got to keep studying. We got to keep learning from each other. We got to keep learning from our ancestors because, you know, they ain't nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun, but they keep a lot of things hidden. And we have to seek out that information. How did our communities deal with this in the past? Again, I would suggest this recommended reading. I can't force you to read it. I can just simply recommend that you read Negroes with Guns. And yes, they shot at the police too. Cause the police was working right there alongside the clan. Ain't none of this stuff new. Same old terrorism. So what were the most effective responses that we have come up with? Deacons for defense. Maybe we need to, you know, and, and, and there seems to be from the underground chatter, that there may be some movement towards us, you know, uh, starting our own militias 
We call them rifle clubs, call them militias and stuff like that. That perhaps there is a move back towards that kind of organizing in our communities to deal with crime. See, Black Panther Party wasn't just dealing with police violence. They was also dealing with the crime in the community. And the crime went down as a result. Okay? There was no, you know, people just gunning down people in the streets and things like that. No, they they address everything, all the community's needs. And that's not that's not really a lot of people don't know that. They think, you know, that they just was a bunch of negroes with guns walking around in leather jackets and black berets. No, man, these people these people were organized they were educated they brought many skills to the table and they were addressing many other issues and and, you know making the black community autonomous and we know that the FBI US government didn't like black people being autonomous see they tell you they want you to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and this and that and but when you actually have engaged in that sort of activity throughout you know history here they come to destroy it like they destroyed the Panthers and how they use COINTELPRO to turn black people against black people in our communities thugs versus you know Mr. Middle Class and we keep falling for that we keep falling for that but let's get back to that. Stop viewing each other through the enemy's lens. And I mean that literally. I mean that literally. Through their lens, through their camera lens. See, we're allowing the enemy to frame how we view our people. So when the enemy is dictating your world view, then it's liable to be one that's not going to be conducive to you know your well-being so we got a lot of studying to do again I I just want to say if you want to end violence in the community if you want to stop all of these drugs and stuff like that start with the federal government to end the drug war stop bringing dope into the country you know because once you once it's no longer illegal then you know and people can purchase what they want then you know there's no rivalries in the streets but you know even if that doesn't happen anytime soon we have to work with these street organizations to to get them to working together like the images we saw the Bloods and the Crips out of Ferguson working together to protect property of a business. And we saw those in um, Baltimore coming together with the Nation of Islam to keep people calm and whatnot. We need more of the working together, but we have to also be careful that we don't make these street organizations, they calling gangs into assets of the system because they would love that. They would love that. So, anyway, Tendo Radio Show is coming up. Um, 
Let me just get some information. Um, Brother Doshan also will be on air tonight. I think Brother Zaid Mohammed is going to be one of his guests. Um, yeah, so that's at, that's at nine o'clock. Uh, Brother Dave will be coming on here shortly in just a minute. And they're going to be talking about the mainstream media and, uh, NASA. So, um, yeah. And they will have a special guest, Chico Stick. So that's all I got, y'all. Um, sorry if I was rambling. Hope that you might have found something constructive about anything that I have may, may have stated. But again, when we hear people that work for the system propose solutions to us and tell us, you know, that they're working in our best interest and that we need to really scrutinize that. Okay, we need to just really scrutinize that and never take anyone's word for anything and ask if they just really throwing up smoke screens or are they, you know, actually talking about something that would go far towards ending slavery and human trafficking in this country uh, being practiced by the federal government, the state government, and corporations. All right, so I will be back on air tomorrow. Tomorrow is Tuesday. Yeah, tomorrow's Tuesday. Um, so I'll be back on air 4 o'clock p.m. Eastern time. Y'all stay tuned. I'm going to play some music while we work to get Tando Radio Show on the air. Peace and blessings to all. We do whatever we do to survive. Bro. Drop it. It is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.